Hello, everyone. I'm Ron Waxman and Dr. Spencer King with me. We are in The King and I, episode two. And we're talking about the myriad of anticoagulation that uh, we have on a daily basis when we practice PCI, managing MI, et cetera, et cetera. So if I have a patient today that come with STEMI to the cat lab, I can choose whether to preload him with the Kegler or with Plavix, not to preload him, give him heparin or give him Lovenox or give him 2B3A or give him Kegler and on and on and on. If you combine all those options, you're going to get like a huge number of options. And truly, no one can tell me uh, what is the exact right regimen. And we've been doing it for at least 40 years, I think, since the birth of angioplasty. So uh, Dr. Spencer King wrote a very uh, interesting, provocative, as he always uh, does, editorial in the last word of the CRM journal, uh, sounds like a little bit frustrated about the situation, so I'm going to give him the word of uh, that editorial. Spencer? Yeah, well, it came out of uh, many uh, morning reports and, and activities at Emory where Michael McDaniel, one of uh, our colleagues who's most interested and most knowledgeable in the subject, keeps uh, struggling with this idea of how do you start out anti, uh, antiplatelet therapy and antithrombotic therapy into you with all the studies that we have. And so it struck me that uh, uh, there have been so many trials, so many, many trials of uh, antithrombotic therapy that I said, well, surely we'd figure this out at some point. What should we, what should we be doing? And uh, we've not figured it out uh, as evidenced by the trials. And we have... Uh, ensured uh, uh, clinical investigators uh, have employment uh, for the future because we keep, keep doing these sorts of things. Uh, and uh, so much of it seems reasonable. Small trials, we, we know what happens. We know the, the effects of uh, aspirin. We know what the effects of uh, clopidogrel. We know the effects of, uh, of uh, ticagrelor and impressigrel. Uh, we know what anticoagulation added to them uh, does. But when we put these together in trials, uh, we, we become uh, more and more confused. We see that uh, patients who we would think who are, are not uh, reactive to clopidogrel would do very badly, and therefore our studies using clopidogrel would be awful and much worse than the more potent agents. And sometimes they are a bit uh, uh, worse, but uh, uh, still, uh, as evidenced by what people do, we're still using predominantly uh, clopidogrel in most cases in the United States. We struggle with uh, things like insurance coverage and all that. But what this all means to me is that we've not found a firm answer to what to do. And the other major issue uh, that we've got is uh, the one of balancing uh, the antithrombotic therapy with the uh, bleeding risk. And recently, of course, there have been a lot of trials looking at that trying to shorten the period. And the basic concept that, that uh, antithrombotic, uh, antithrombotic uh, events are front-loaded. They occur, most of them, in the early, uh, early time, in the early first month, perhaps, after stem implantation. And uh, bleeding events, however, are, are go for the whole length of the therapy. So bleeding events can occur at any time. And so I think that our fear in the past that uh, we're so worried about uh, stent thrombosis, we're sort of driven by that, 
And maybe now we're becoming more worried about bleeding, and this has driven a lot of the trials and led to all this short duration of DAPT that has uh, shown, largely by elimination of aspirin, some uh, improvement in bleeding without a detriment in the antithrombotic effect. So uh, we know all that. We see that in various studies. We know that people are resistant uh, to clopidogrel sometimes. We have many options. One is to just switch to the more uh, potent, higher price agents. We will get a little bit more bleeding with those, but we'll have a more routine effect. Uh, we might try like they do in Asia, in uh, Japan, in Korea, uh, use a lower dose, for instance, of prasigrel or, or, uh, or uh, ticangalor. So uh, that, you know, to, to try to mimic a clopidogrel dose, but at the same time not have as much bleeding. So I don't want to go through the whole idea of the, the many variables we have, simply to say that uh, every institution seems to struggle with this. And they come with protocols and can we get everybody to do it? And as you know very well, Ron, having been a, being an Emory guy, uh, we've got all these different hospitals, uh, as you had Washington Hospital Center, at, at so trying to get everybody on the same page, uh, even the operators, even the hospitals, uh, to do the same things, having the fight about, are you going to have genomic testing? Are you going to have uh, point of care testing? With uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just an interesting subject. I find it fascinating. And I, I kind of wrote the editorial based on, wow, it's good we have uh, things like this because clinical trialists you know, need to stay in practice and we can keep doing trials. Yeah, so, so I think that we have to take some of the blame, you know, going back to the history, because as you mentioned, we are feared of stent thrombosis. Uh, before we had stent, we were feared of abrupt closure, which some uh, was related to thrombosis, some were just related to bad angioplasty dissection, but that was devastating. So uh, I remember, what do we do at the end of the procedure, PCI? Uh, before we, we didn't even put the sheet at that time, give another 10,000 of heparin, let it be, like just make sure we won't have to face thrombosis. And, and I think it was a question of security not to have the thrombosis. And then we learned that the bleeding caused more mortality in the thrombosis. So we know all this stuff. But one of the things uh, maybe, again, that it's very simple and not that complicated that we want to see less bleeding and we don't have to worry so much about thrombosis because uh, you're not going to die so much from thrombosis. You have to get, in principle, less is better in terms of the bleeding, and probably everything almost works. And we are too, at least for the stent perspective, for the patient with ischemic burden, that's a separate story. Uh, and, and, and it's looked like every time someone tries something, it's always work. Uh, you give, um, you know, I remember, um, well, I forgot his name. He, he's at the Timmy group, uh, did present every time we added a drug, we added more bleeding and we reduced by somewhat the efficacy. And then uh, at some point we did the opposite. Now we are dropping the, the APT from 12 months to six months, from six months to three months, from three months to one month, from one month to two weeks, and everything is going well. So it looks like no matter what you do, everything works here. And it's kind of, um, interesting, it's, it just depends on which wave are you. And now we have this wave of uh, 
maybe we're going to drop the aspirin after three months based on twilight, or maybe we should drop it after one month, or maybe we should have actually no duct at all, and we would start with prasugal right away. So it looks like everything works because most of the studies are underpowered, frankly, and everybody talking about his own opinion. As long as you're not going to create a huge bleeding, you're probably going to win because stentrombosis is not an issue. So I, I think that um, we're taking too seriously those studies that are under power, and we're trying to make a story out of that. And everybody got into the trap of short dapt, uh, which was based, okay, give less because people will bleed less. And now it's like an NASCAR, everybody's giving less. And all the companies spend it like, I would assume if I collect all the money that was spent on short dap trials, it's exceeding $100 million. If you have a new technology, you may not spend $100 million to get the technology. And here, this is for a poor labeling that the FDA is struggling. What labeling should they give to those stents? I mean, you can give that stents to HBR patient. And what is HBR? You have like a list of, uh, it's a laundry list. So, so I wonder what you think about it. I mean, is it really too complicated or maybe it's actually simple and we make it complicated? Well, the thrombosis thing is, is uh, uh, made more, much more difficult to investigate because the stents have become so much better and our, our ability to implant the stents uh, is better. So we, we should never forget that the, the best antithrombotic therapy we have is a modern thin strut stent, well-posed, well-deployed, uh, 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 resulting in uh, good, clean uh, laminar flow. That's the best. Uh, you get that, then it's very difficult uh, to uh, show difference, differences in stent thrombosis, even though you have very activated platelets in, in some of these therapies, and uh, still you get by with it. And if you think about it, you know, after uh, a, little, a month or so, uh, you know, most of most of these events uh, have happened, and most of these events, in fact, are due probably to uh, some inadequacy of the placement. But we're not going to go away from antiplatelet therapy. So I think the the question is going to be uh, probably driven a little bit by economics. If, if I ask the question, what if you know, what if the more potent drugs were the same price uh, as the uh, as clopidogrel? Would we use clopidogrel? Uh, would we discover that, okay, we, we think the patient is at higher bleeding risk and therefore we want to be moderated. Uh, should, should we then talk about lower dose to achieve the lower uh, platelet inhibition uh, in, in the very high bleeding risk patient uh, and do all that without aspirin? I mean, the aspirin and the patient's on clopidogrel is uh, doing a job. I mean, it's, some of them are not... Uh, uh, not inhibited. So we, we, to go totally away from DAPT uh, means that we need to consider what else we're going to go to. But I would look back, Ron, I, you talk about the old days and, and so forth. Uh, we have made progress. We shouldn't, we shouldn't deny that, that uh, in the days when we used uh, Wafferin in every patient with a stent, we kept them in the hospital five days trying to get the INR up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these were pretty crazy, crazy times. And so we, we, we have made progress from that. And then the stent technology has improved so much. And intravascular imaging, of course, has been a, a great boom as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, the progress, I think, was made on both fronts, on the stent frontier. Uh, our stents are, and we learned how to do the stents better. I mean, at that time, we didn't know exactly how to implant them uh, correctly, even though still imaging is used only in 10% of the cases. 
but sense got better. Stent thrombosis, to my view, it's not an issue anymore. Bleeding is an issue, but if you don't want to have any bleeding, you don't give any antiplatelet therapy, then you're going to start to see the spike in thrombosis. And then there is the whole residual risk uh, for ischemic events for patients with MI and multivessel disease that do have a residual thrombotic risk. So they need the, a reliable, good drug that will prevent events. I mean, we've seen that with Tecagrelor. Um, one drug that I will tell you I'm fascinated in, in the lab is Kangler, which didn't make so good on the champion studies, if you recall, but when we give the drug for STEMI patients, um, there is really not much, no reflow phenomenon. It's actually, you know, it's, it cut the platelets to zero within four minutes, a very short activating time uh, to, to inhibit the platelets. And then um, if you want to switch off, switch on, you switch them off, I mean, and the platelets come back fairly quickly in, in a matter of, again, a few more minutes in case you have to stop bleed. But the, the miraculous, from my perspective, was a, very rarely we see no reflow, which was always an issue with a huge uh, thrombus burden. So I would pay attention to that. It, it, it's not a cheap drug. It is expensive compared to uh, tyrofaban and, and other uh, drugs that uh, even, even when it's compared to, to betray like Integrally and uh, RioPro. Uh, but, but I think uh, it's something that's worth watching. So it's, it's not all about economics, but um, uh, we, we, we just, uh, we're not going to solve this issue today, which, which drugs we're going to give. But I, but I think, again, there is something that kind of strikes my mind. Uh, we all worried right now more about bleeding. That's the main issue. Uh, people dying more from bleeding than from uh, acute thrombotic events. So uh, probably that's the change in the paradigm. Well, Ron, maybe I ought to close out with a bit of uh, philosophy. That's my main job these days, or, or psychology, I think. Uh, in the, regarding the duration of therapy, uh, I think it's in the mind of the physician that uh, they want to do the right thing for the patient, but it seems easier to stick with a longer duration to prevent stent thrombosis. This sounds like something that the patient will never fault the physician for doing his best to try to prevent that stent from thrombosing. On the other hand, if the patient bleeds because of that antithrombotic therapy, that's more of an act of God or something. That's not the doctor's fault. And I wonder if that's in our minds somehow. The fact that we're less willing to stop the uh, dual antiplatelet therapy because, well, they're doing fine. Everything's going fine. The best solution is to stick with what you're doing. Besides now you're doing, you know, I'm, 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 I'm being proactive. I'm doing something. I withdraw, uh, I, I continue it and you get a bleed. Well, gee, that's too bad, but you know, it's not my fault. <laughs> I was doing my best to prevent a thrombosis. So I think all doctors ought to think a little bit, about the psychology that's in our own heads that may drive us a little bit outside the actual evidence that we have to deal with. And with that wisdom from the King, we're gonna close the second episode of The King and I. Thanks for watching. Hopefully you'll continue to follow us on the future episodes of The King and I. Thanks to everybody.